Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, a dynamic conversation with designer John McLean. Now, to call John a designer would be a real oversimplification. This is a guy who has construction and building things and design in his blood from a very, very young age. Bought his first home and renovated at age 20. In his teens, renovated his parents' garage and built a bathroom so he could have a master suite. This is someone who has oozed design and build and advancement through his entire career. From HGTV to working in the furniture industry to designing his own custom home line and the challenges faced with commercializing that and turning it into an entirely new business. It's an amazing conversation where we talk about values, the consistent need to merge indoor and outdoor, and at the heart of everything, the most important part is a referral-based company that cares deeply about authenticity, truth, honesty, integrity in all they do. Enjoy this episode with designer John McLean. Hi. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. It is. Uh, the pleasure is truly mine, John. Ple- pleasure is truly mine. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you. Well, it's TGIF, right? We're all in a good mood today. <laughs> Boy, we could all use, man, could we all use it? Unbelievable. Right? Just crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Every week I'm like, what fires do I have to put out this week, right? <laughs> it's like every week you're waiting for the next thing. <laughs> and if you're in California, no pun intended, I mean, I, I've been doing a few of these these podcast episodes in the last uh, six weeks or so, and more than half of our guests have been from California. And, and mm-hmm. I, I have to first ask, I mean, beyond the already shitty environment with COVID and everything that's been created, uh, the wildfire is just unbelievable. Have you, have you been affected by your clients? Where are you at in the, or have been affected by the fires? Just before I talk about anything business, I'd love to just hear how you are, your community, and just yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. No, uh, it, it's we've been very fortunate. We live in a very urban area, so with us, it's, it's concrete and you know very few trees. It's mostly affecting, of course, the people with the around the forest and all, and, and those like more rural areas and. I haven't had any clients affected. Um, I've had some, you know, friends slightly affected, but thankfully nothing completely, you know, devastated or burned down. But yeah, it's, it, it's sadly, it's part of the course here. You know, it's like, there's like, when I first moved to California from Florida, they're like fire season, I'm like fire season. What does that even mean? Like a fire season? Like I'm having to yeah. wait for a fire and you really, you are. And um, thankfully now that a lot of people are, in like this preventive mode where they're cutting trees down and removing branches and like really clearing out their the the, the foliage around their house to make it safer thankfully but yeah well, it was, it was I, part of this terrible i guess it's like you know when you say fire season i guess everything is you know applicable to where you are i imagine in florida there's there's hurricane season I lived in the Cayman Islands for a year and a half and hurricane seasons are really serious sort of. So I guess we all have, depending on where we live, different types of uh, bouts with nature, if you will, that are, uh, you know, hard to, hard to deal with. Well, you know what the ironic part is, is that I have an office in Florida and I have an office here in LA. And so my Florida team, I'm constantly having to review the weather when there's hurricane season and making sure that we close the office, we keep the office open, you know, do you need to leave early, all those things. And then here, of course, it's the total opposite. It's fires and earthquakes. So I've just surrounded myself with all the natural disasters of the world. 
right you are well um but we will get I've been, through it. I've, we'll get through it i've been really excited about uh really excited uh to speak with you i've been following your work uh when josh set this up for us uh, i've spent a lot of time on your site your instagram reading a lot about your story um first i have to ask you am i correct and i, I hope i'm not because i'm going to look like an idiot but the painting behind you is that beethoven blindfolded no, it is. Um, <laughs> I forget. I forget. You know, honestly, I don't even know. My assistant bought this for me for my other home. And it's a, what they did was they took a an, an original painting. I believe it's a. I believe it's like a governor of some state or something. But they took an older painting and they. Wow, did, was I, I, wow, was I off? Yeah, <laughs> you were close. Sorry. It was a public figure, um, it, it, but it's some random governor. But they took they took this um, painting and they took this kind of you know, in modern background on it to, to, to modernize it. And I was just telling Sophie that I've just moved into my new house and God help me, I, I, I barely have a space to even set up, much less decorate. So I was like, throw it together, throw it together, send me something, send me something. And so this is what we have. I've done a lot of videos this week with uh, panel discussions and so forth. And I was like, I have to have something set up. But but uh, yeah, you're, you're close. But you know, the, the funny thing is I'm actually setting up for my house, a, a Zoom recording area that we use for panels, and I'm just going to leave it permanently like that um, because that's a big that's a big thing of mine. I even did a, a little thing during lockdown um, called Zoom My Room, where I, I virtually redesigned the backgrounds of TV shows and things like that because it was like just started driving me crazy with what I was seeing up there. So you know, yeah. it's 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 interesting. You know, it's in the same way we, we have we have adapted to this. Um, you know, being able to produce these, this podcast series and this video series. Uh, we moved our showroom and offices around and effectively created a micro studio in what was, you know, five years ago, a, a trucking warehouse then wow. became our, our showroom and, and now has a, a pod in it that has uh, been converted into a, into a studio. So, you know, it's, it's happening, uh, it's happening yeah. and it's fun. It's fun to be able to pivot and adapt. I think that's part of the, you know, I think that's part of the cool thing about being a, first of all, a creative in your world and, 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 and an entrepreneur and a business owner. I think it's, you know, I think it's fun. I agree. And, you know, we're, we're doing it more for clients too these days. We're actually focusing on spaces for them to do their, to work from home, of course, but also to have a proper background and all those fun things. So yeah, it is, it is fun. I have pivoted more time during this period than I've ever pivoted in my life. I have I've just been pirouetting all the way through COVID. <laughs> I can I, I must, uh, especially, with, uh, bi, especially with bi-coastal offices, I mean, that must have been a lot. But let, let's, I want to just, before we get into that, yeah. I want to take a step back. And, and, you know, in looking at this, I was like, I can't make a joke about it. He's already done with, I'm sure he dealt with it a million times. So you were obviously named before the Die Hard movies came out. And we'll just leave it that I, I can't, I, I'm sure you've dealt with more than more than your share of that, of that shit. But tell me a little <laughs> bit about, a little bit about your story, where you grew up, childhood, school, what got you to move across the country to LA? Just, I'd love to learn, know a little bit about you. Yeah. So my, my family was, is a family of craftsmen and tradespeople and home builders. And they were so talented. And I, I sort of got the bug, I guess. I remember even at five or six years old going to with my family as they're building a home and, and, and watching this home be constructed from the concrete, well, actually from the foundation to digging the foundation to the concrete block, all the way up to 
you know, the roof. And it was just mesmerizing to me that, that there was this controlled process over building such an important and, you know, massive structure for someone. So I would go tag along. I just, I, I just fell in love with it. And I, my mom would say, you really want to go back? Like your uncle's over there. You want to go? I said, yes, I want to go back. And so I would go every, every Saturday I would go and spend probably the entire day with them learning stuff all the way up until my teens. And then, you know, I got the bug during that time. And then after that, I realized, wow, I should do some of this on my own. And, and, and it's, I'm a mixture of like design and also the construction side of mm -hmm. what we do. So I have the design knowledge, I have the construction knowledge because of my family. And then I realized like, wow, the design and the decorating part is sort of like icing on this cake of construction and renovation and all those other things that have to be done, you know, before you get to the final result. So that was, that was always my reward, you know, for doing all the dirty work. So I, I remember I added a room on to my, my parents' home. I, I actually converted the garage into my own master suite during, uh, I was 16, 17 years old and added a bathroom and, you know, all these things and just had fun with it. And then I bought my first home at um, 20, I believe, 2021, wow. somewhere in there. Young. Yeah. Wow. An 1800s uh, salt box house. I still actually own it today because I just have sentimental connections to it and, and renovated it and like you know found cool stuff in the walls and all those fun things and then you know fast forward from there I was just doing work for friends and family and then I moved on to um, kind of sort of getting paid for it kind of sort of you know having some income coming in from it not as a full-time career just more of a hobby mm -hmm. uh, and then I was cast on an episode of an HGTV show randomly while nice. I was in my other career advertising at the time and that kind of it kind of validated everything, honestly, in a, in a weird way. I needed that validation, I suppose, and that was the beginning of the actual career of design. It's amazing how I was talking last week to a, a buddy of mine who was actually a guest on, on, the podca on the podcast named Anthony Carino. He's based out of New Jersey. He was also on um, with his cousin, uh, John Connellari. He was on an HGTV show as well, and mm -hmm. he talked yeah, to me yeah. about about the, exactly about the 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 challenges the opportunities and how you know he shifted away and now is producing really his own shows that he can do with his own voice and what was your experience like as someone who sort of lived a very authentic experience of designing constructions growing up in it then being cast into somewhere where there is of course character is more of a factor than skill for television in in many ways was that a, a difficult adaptation for you? No, um, I, I've always been authentic and I've always been me. And I think that, you know, well, I take that back. There was a short period when you do try to conform yourself to certain, when you're younger, you're trying to conform yourself to certain things. I got over that quickly, realized I am who I am, take it or leave it, love it or don't. And then that's kind of what I brought into it. So there were surprises along the way, like, oh my gosh, like this is, this really is going to be done in a week. Like we really do have like three and a half, 3.5 days to, you know, renovate this master suite. But I, I, I think that just by being true to myself and being completely straightforward and, you know, being me and like I said, take it or leave it, 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 it works. And I think if more people would just do that in life, I think we would all be a lot better off. Truer words. There are not, you know, I had a, um, I, I would consider myself very like you in the way that I, I try to live my life with the the greatest authenticity possible. And um, one of my favorite college professors uh, in uh, in psychology, actually, um, 
in a class that I did the worst in academically, but I enjoyed the most, which is quite weird. Oh, um, you know, he really defined happiness as when the interior and the exterior are in complete match. Love. Very simple, but very, very true. My experience, and I'll just segue about uh, being on TV, in the early years of Urban Bonfire, my business partner, Stefan, and I were offered the opportunity to be on a, a reality show, one of these sort of home makeover sort of shows that are, you know, there are many of. And we went, we drove from Montreal to Toronto, which is about a six hour drive. We rented a trailer. We packed our outdoor kitchen from our showroom in. We drove it, set it up. And it was so... It was so scripted and so in need of, you know, turn this way and say, well, I don't like the way this color is like building in the drama. And then, and I'm not sure if it's the same way in the US, but the restrictions on I had to put like tape over the logo of a barbecue because you can't show the name of it. Just it felt so inauthentic to me that we did the pilot and I was so happy that the pilot didn't get picked up. It was like it was like a blessing to me because I there's no way that I could have done a series like this. I, I couldn't have done it. It would have made me yeah. TV is its own animal. TV has its own. You know they can't show a painting. They can't show a piece of art unless it's been approved or cleared. And I designed, for instance, for a uh, reality show star here in LA recently, and everything we chose had to be very specific to what could be actually aired on screen, right? So yeah, it is, and you're right. There is like a weird inauthenticity to it because you're not being able to be that. But I just figured if I'm me, and then they handle the other parts themselves, all the other behind the scenes stuff, and I just. But there is a certain direction to it too that gets annoying. You know, you're Absolutely. right. Absolutely, there, there is for a, sure. and even on you know, even as I was on, I was on this other reality show for this other person for this home that design, and even that, they're like, okay, John, you're gonna walk in and you're gonna say you found this piece of art and what do you think? Like, okay, well, that's weird. And so I had to kind of like, kind of fake it a bit, you know, with mm -hmm. that part of it, but I really didn't have a piece of yeah. art to show her. They just needed me to walk in at a certain, certain yeah. time. <laughs> but that's, look, that's, that's TV and that's, that's sort of just the way it is. I mean, it it's is. not, it's not going to change. There are controlled parameters that, uh, right. but so since then, um, tell me about moving to LA, what inspired that? And I just would love to hear a little bit about your, you know, your design career. I mean, you have a very, uh, a very impressive resume, if I will. I mean, your social media, I don't know who does that, whether it's you do it yourself or you have, but I mean, beautifully done, beautifully done. I mean, the choice of photography, the, the, stylic, the stylistic elements, it is, it is so well done. Um, I, I'm still learning about a lot of this and I, I am inspired by people who do it extremely well. So uh, you have my greatest, my greatest respect. For, well, tell me, tell me about how this whole thing you working for, I remember you started working in furniture and design and then you shifted out into your own collection of this and then full design and interiors. And tell me about the journey. Yeah. So I'll give you the cliff note version. If anybody even remembers what cliff notes are now, <laughs> I'm sure you and I do, <laughs> but so I, like other people, had a first career. So my first career was not design, it was in advertising. And my first degree is in business. I did that kind of because it was what you were taught. You, you follow a tried and true path. You do things that will make you money. You do things that you have a guaranteed job in. And I'm like, but wait, I really love to do this. And I really love to design. And I really love to pick out fabrics. And I really love to hang draperies. And 
And, you know, you kind of hear this inner voice saying, you really have this other thing that you should be following. So I did follow that and I did follow it with friends and family. And then, you know, after the show happened, um, that was sort of that validation that I could go forward and make a career. I started getting phone calls from, you know, not only um, all over the country, but even some emails from different parts of the world, which was really interesting to me. And it just opened up my eyes that maybe I could make a living at this. And I, I left the um, advertising marketing field that I was in and went full force into design. I was working for myself very on a very small scale from a room in my home, you know, doing little small projects. And then Kismet happened and I went on this friend, mutual friend's birthday cruise on this birthday cruise with this friend with like 12 or 15 people. Two people on that cruise were designers in LA. I was still in Florida. They said, oh my gosh, we, we saw your show. You did a great job. And I said, oh, well, if you ever want a designer in LA, let me know. Ha ha ha. Joke, joke, joke. Move on. And then a month later, they said, actually, we were thinking about hiring a designer in LA. Would you be interested? And popped on a plane from Florida, flew out. Um, and then so I stopped kind of paused my own firm at the time worked for them in LA so I, I always say one day I'm sitting in class in design class in Florida the next day I'm in Dr. Phil's living room you know designing for them and that's literally what happened and so for me it was this eye-opening moment of like okay jump in head first and I'm like you I, I if I take a calculated risk and I feel wholeheartedly it's the right thing to do I'm all in like I'm there I, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. I have that adrenaline rush. There's that excitement of doing it. And that's what I did. So I jumped in head first, worked for this firm, um, you know, really got my feet wet and then realized like, okay, I really do miss entrepreneurship and working for myself. And so I kind of reinstated my own company two years later, uh, moved back to Florida from LA. And then I started my Florida firm there and also opened simultaneously like a retail location because I wanted to have, I wanted a way to establish myself in a community where people could see and buy products. They could buy the products I had, but they could see the vignettes that I had created, which I, I knew that from a marketing perspective would turn into a design client, which it did. So my, my little showroom, which had a mixture of my custom furniture and other people's things, it was, it was a kind of a long, narrow showroom and inch by inch I kept inching up the design studio and taking less away from the uh the showroom floor and then before you know it I had one vignette where I had had like 10 before and then the design office was massive in the back and I had more employees and I was like okay this let's pivot this is what I should be doing and then I moved into doing that full-time you know stopped the retail store did design full-time and then I you know really got the bug for the custom furniture design and custom lighting. And so I, I had so many experiences at that point by working with vendors and working with different manufacturers where I just felt it could be better. Not only the quality could be better, but customer service is such a key thing for me. I don't work with anyone who doesn't have good customer service, who doesn't have good ethics and morals and values and appreciates their clients. And I was just not getting a lot of that with, with vendors that I was working with. So not only creatively that I wanted to do my own line, but also for this other business side of things too, to really take care of people. And when we started it, you know, I just, I kind of sat down and designed, I think 85 SKUs I had in the beginning for this first collection. And we, you know, launched at High Point Market and I told my team, I'm like, all right, we're, our goal is not only beautiful things, but it's also good, good, good customer service above and beyond what they would find anywhere else. And, and it worked, you know, it, it totally worked with that. So I got my creative part going, 
I got the business side going. What I didn't realize was that that is actually a totally different animal when you're, <laughs> that's its own company, as you know, Ryan, like that's its own thing. So I have a specific note here to ask you, and I wanted to, because there are so many overlaps in our, in our experiences. How different is it to work with a manufacturer, creator, to create custom pieces, one-offs that are create 80 SKUs and the commercialization of what does that mean? And you're right, those are two completely different things that are only really interwoven in small ways. And it's pretty amazing when you think about, and, and I was talking to a designer out of um, Northern California in San Francisco named Allison Pickard. I don't know if you know, you know yeah. her. Awesome. Asked her the same question. She basically uh, you know, had taken ideas from project design and inspiration and commercialized and now sells through Instagram and web and that type of thing. And when you commercialize something, it doesn't necessarily, I think, take away from the inspiration, the story, the sexiness, the whatever those things are that inspire the original. But it puts a lot of parameters on things, especially if you're reselling. And correct me if I'm wrong in my research, I see some of your products are available on Perigold, for example. And working with Perigold, some people may, some may not know, part of the Wayfair group. Um, what's that like going from like one-offs and like when you shift to commercialization and e-com and other retailers and inventory management and payment terms and, and all this no type of, <laughs> it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's reps, distributors, yes, no, international uh, uh, certifications for insurance. Is this CSA approved? Is it, yeah, it's, it can like, it can, it can quickly not necessarily crush or destroy, but certainly be a very sobering experience for the euphoria of design in, in a vacuum. Yes. That, and I went, and I, I went through it myself. I want to hear it from you first, but I, and I'll share with you exactly, we went through exactly the same thing. Yeah. We can commiserate together. I, you <laughs> know, I, I, I did go into it naive naively like I went into it with this like oh my god if I have a passion for this if I design something then everyone's gonna love it and everyone's gonna like it because they don't find it anywhere and you know one of the best pieces of advice I got was from my friend Tom Felicia where he said John you can design for yourself that's great but you also have to design for the people who are buying it you have to really think about more so them than you and it was like a, this kind of light bulb went off in my head I was like yeah I can't be so you know, narcissistic or selfish just to design because I love it. I mean, I have to love it. I have to like the design, but also, you know, to make a living and to sell it to the mass market, you have to design something that appeals to them as well. Mm -hmm. So I, we, my husband and I were working, I begged him to leave his job and come work with me. And so he did. And we started the, 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 the uh, product side of our company home furnishing side, mm -hmm. very rudimentary. I mean, we were on the phone, at one o'clock in the morning, you know, calling China, calling these different countries. Do you speak English? Hello, can you please help me? And it was nothing that, because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to start. So we we kind of reverse engineered the whole process and we we found out what companies, other what, what manufacturing locations other companies use to make their product. And we piggybacked off of that, right? So we saw this company uses, you know, they make their wood in Vietnam. So let's contact someone in Vietnam and find out how we can make our wood products there. And this company has metal pieces made in China. Let's contact them. 
So we kind of reverse engineered the whole thing. It took a long, long, long time. And I will do not recommend going this route for anybody who's considering doing it, first of all. But we we jumped in head first, as I normally do. This one was a bit more of a sobering moment than anything else I had done because I really had to stop and and assess everything. You know, one day I'm sketching things out on a plane, um, and then the, you know the next day it's in production. The next time I look, it's already in the showroom at Inner Hall at High Point. I was like, whoa, how, what? And then there's orders coming in, and then we're like, oh god, we got to take an order. So we, you know, it, it's that whole MOQ thing. You know, we were trying to figure out what's our minimum quantity we can make from these different people. And we negotiated that with them. Like, no, we can't make 500. We can make a hundred of these shelves, right? We can afford that. So we went all in with it and, you know, I don't regret it at all. And it's actually, I have it at the moment in a little pause stage because I'm rebranding it from Gilded Home, which was the former name to John McLean Home. So we're trying to rebrand everything, you know, under one name. So it's easier for people to do, but, uh, but you'll probably appreciate this. I'm actually moving the majority of the pieces to the United States because I can't the just the 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 product control of everything from across the seas is very difficult and I decided just to, to make that part easier. So I'm in the process of kind of reordering the whole thing and 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 keeping certain pieces that did well, bringing in new pieces that I really feel like will do well. And also I'm I'm knee deep right now as we speak and finding local vendors in the States to make those things for me. So my new plan is to make it, um, make a prototype, have it completely customizable, which is what a lot of designers want now and a lot of consumers want with products is to make it customizable for them. So that's where I am now. I'm actually excited about this pivot, this turn. We talked about pivots. This is one of those big pivots that I'm taking. But I'm also excited about that, the creative part of that, the creative part of me can come back into play with designing furniture and accessories and lighting and things of mine. Well, you know, like producing product overseas and and we don't, everything that we make is made here in Montreal. Exactly. Um, You know, what domestic manufacturing allows for is, as you said, allowing, you know, customers to to customize and whether that is the perception of customization, but in reality it's actually curation right. on the manufacturing side, which is kind of what, what, what we do. Um, but also, I mean, just the, from a business side, the financial model for a company that is importing from overseas, you're talking about a completely different model where you need to prepay before it gets here. 30 days, luckily, if it gets here, then it ships to the retailer, then they pay in 30 or 45 or 60 days. I mean, that's not so much anymore in design and manufacturing. That's also really in the financing business. <laughs> and that is a very, look, the companies do it well. My hat's off to them, it's, but it's really, really tough. So it's, it's, it's so tough. And, you know, I, I, I had so many moments of like, oh, aha moments during the process of, not only setting it up to getting it, you know, out on showroom floors to, you know, selling it to people, but also just the quality control was not up to what I wanted. So for instance, if I had a quality control person in India looking at a metal wrapped table that I made, um, it looked good in the photos and then it would get here and it would sit on that container and the heat would get to it and then things would change and then it would start to bubble. It, I, you know, the, the container would, would roll up to the, the dock and you have, they, I don't know if people know, but when they, when you get these in, the seal is still locked on the container, right? So you're, they unlock that seal and you're so excited to see your baby being born and you open it up and you're like, oh my God, like they're all ruined. They're, they all have some sort of issue. 
and then you have to figure out how you get that back or if you make if you can get <laughs> if, if you can't even get it back. if you even can yeah. if you even can yeah, yeah. <laughs> i could write a book about what not to do probably more so than what to do <laughs> well i think that it's uh I, I from what i can tell and I, I could be wrong. This is just uh, just sort of a, an observation. I think one of the things that COVID um, has done is I think it has re I think it has repositioned both consumers and manufacturers to think in a more local or at least regional or domestic way. I don't know if it's similar um, where you are in LA, but if you just look at companies here, social media, as it relates even to companies looking for holiday gifts, there is this unbelievable focus on local, let's suppose local restaurants, local bakeries, let's see if we can because of what this has done. And I feel like it has, you know, price almost second or not factor to how can we, how can we be a part of the story of one of these small businesses or small that has been, you know, really, really devastated by COVID. And I think we're also seeing just this beautiful, in some ways, people willing to potentially pay more to support something they know is being locally made with proper, proper manufacturing, uh, treating people the way they should be treated, just all these types of things that are very fundamental that I think of some ways kind of not necessarily come full circle, but are being re reawoken. The idea of it, not just what's the best price, what's the highest margin, what's the easiest way versus what's the right way. And there seems to have been that bit of a shift in, in a lot of people in, in this year. I, I think humanity has returned. I think humanity has returned in a big way where, where, where we, as designers, we care about where we purchase from and, Hopefully the manufacturers are caring more to your point of where they manufacture things and how they manufacture things. And I think clients also have a better, they're a little more lenient, you know, like they're, they're, they under, there's a little more heart put into it now. Like if something's delayed, we just had a really, what I expected to be a somewhat uncomfortable conversation with the client about massive delays in their, you know, large home that we were designing from top to bottom. And it went really, really smoothly and they really got it because I think that we're all in this compassionate mode right now. And, you know, my hope is, Ryan, that it continues. I hope that I hope that this feeling continues after after this is all over. And I hope that we all grab on to like we're all just humans. We, we, we're all living on the same planet. We all you know, there's no reason I don't want your project to be a success as much as you do. And let's all work together. And a, a term that I always use with clients and vendors and anybody that comes into my company is partner. I want, I don't say I'm going to work for you. You don't know, I'm going to work with you. I say, we're going to partner on this endeavor, whatever that endeavor is. And you'd be amazed at that just that simple term of partnering lets their guard down, lets them know that we're in this together and, and it works every single time. And I mean it um, from my heart when I say that, but I think a lot of people don't hear that as often as they should. And they think that designers are dictators, you know, that furniture makers are dictators and that we're going to have to, you know, everything we do is going to be at their whim and their back and call. And it's just not the case. And it shouldn't be the case. I, I agree. I agree. And I think there is a lot more humanity. As you said, it, it's, it is, it is very much, it, it's felt. It really is. Um, I'm interested on that same sort of topic. Someone who's been doing, you know, 
had his hands in construction design since since childhood at in so many different phases and segments and but can you identify or do you see changing patterns in consumer behavior prior to covid let's say the last 5 7 10 years where they are and and, and where i'm going with this is i am i am fascinated and excited about dynamic shifts in outdoor space and the activation of outdoor space so much so that i mentioned earlier i was talking earlier to uh, some colleagues today where the term interior designer seems to have now evolved we're seeing the word interior being dropped where now it's designer and there is a greater connectivity in terms of visual investment material choice and composition ergonomics functionality there is a far less blurred line than there ever has been if you will between indoor and outdoor have you seen this shift in your clients in what they are asking for in what you're suggesting in the meaning and relevance of the outdoors in your work can you help me understand a little bit about that in in your specific world yeah no you you hit it spot on that's exactly what's happening it it, it did start pre covid um, where they wanted this cohesiveness, of course, between indoor, outdoor, you know, we're using this space for this. We want to, we're using this living room that has doors that open up completely under the patio. That should have feel the patio, the outdoor kitchen, all those things should be part of the interior and they should relate to each other. And I think now they're getting that more than ever. We're getting more requests for outdoor than we have ever gotten in our, in our lives so much that I'm considering reordering the company to where there is a separate division and I have someone strictly set to design outdoors. I mean, and, and, and not just patios and kitchens. And it's, it's also, they want us to partner with landscapers. They want us to, we're, we're putting gates of course, in front of a home right now where used to, we would just have that, you know, someone else handle that, but the client wanted us to do it because they wanted, you know, so down to the specifics of the style of the gate, which way did it open? How did it interact with the landscaping? And, and we really are, we really are kind of opening up ourselves this all-inclusive designer phase that you're talking about. And there's no reason to relegate ourselves just to the interiors when clients are asking for it. Um, we, I honestly, I love doing it. I think it's so fun and so interesting to to take yourself out of the interiors and start working on exteriors. Now, I don't have a green thumb whatsoever, so I have to listen to what the, the the nursery tells me will work in the outdoor space or what the landscaper will tell me. But I know what looks good, and I know what I want there. If I want it large scale, small scale, what colors I want, and I let them know that, and then they they kind of plug it in from there. But after COVID, every single space inside and outside of a client's home is important to them. One thing I've learned is that they want every nook and cranny. They want every closet. They want every spare bedroom turned into something functional. They want every outdoor space, you know, completely set up for them to cook a full meal in their kitchen outdoors, whatever the case may be. No space goes unnoticed or neglected right now during this, this time, because hello, we're all in our house. And, you know, now there's just, at the moment when we're recording this, certain cities are getting locked down again. And, and it's just one of those things where I think they should love all of their homes. And that's one part that I hope continues as well after this is where no space in your home is overlooked. In the past, it had to be where we as designers came to clients and said, hey, well, what about that room over there? That could be a great workout room. Or what about that room? That could be an office. 
Now they're coming to us saying, I have this room. I want it to be a workout room. I have this area. I want it to be my outdoor space, whatever it is. And I think they're, they're kind of leading the, the charge on that now rather than us bringing up ideas to them. I I agree. I think, you know, and I I really dislike the term silver lining, but lacking something better. I think one of the things we've seen is that people have simply more time at home to pause and actually look around where it might be missed that if you're, you know, if you're the average person who goes to train at at a gym or at a yoga studio or Pilates or whatever it is that you do, you might walk by that room that is not in use doesn't phase you. It's something that is figured out down the road, pretty low on the priority list. When that changes, the whole expression of the space changes. And what I realized a few weeks ago, I was having a, a conversation with, with an architect. And I said, the outdoors in many ways is and can be the executive summary of the indoor home. And you use the term um, in Canada, it was Coles Notes. You used, what was the term it used earlier? What are you referring to? Footnote, not footnotes when it was like a, an abridged oh, cliff version. Notes. Cliff, cliff notes. notes. So Cliff was in the US and Coles. We had Coles Notes here okay, in Canada. Same, same, same. When Got you didn't it. want to read the whole book for school, you read, you read the Coles Notes. Yeah. yeah. Pre internet, pre internet kids. Exactly right. And, you know, when you look at interiors, there are certain elements that are traditionally and need to be there. There is a kitchen, a living room, a dining room, a den, X number of bedrooms, X number of bathrooms, things like that. The outdoors, the beauty of it in many ways is it doesn't have any form of preconceived notions on it that a house on this block or this size for resale or whatever bullshit has to have three and a half bedrooms, two and a half. This is the standard. The outdoors can be, if I'm into football and pizza, I can put a flat screen. If I'm into a, like my wife and I, our, our sacred place is a little, a little tiny surf hotel in, in, uh, in Nosara, Costa Rica, where we've been going every year. And we can build in our outdoor space, an outdoor shower and a hammock and some place for my wife to do her meditation. It can be far more creative in many ways because you don't have to dedicate a whole room to it like you do indoors. You can poach the best of the best sort of aspects and turn it into, uh, you know, something that really reflects the user experience versus preconceived notion of what a home has to have. I, I have a perfect example. We're doing a rooftop design right now for a client and the client wants it to function in a lot of different ways. They want to be able to entertain. They want to be able to have dinner. They want to be able to relax and, and you know, sunbathe. They want to have a yoga uh, center part of it. They want to have a workout area. Thankfully, it's large enough for us to do this, but we had the best time designing this space because it was breaking all the norms. You know, like it was literally functioning as like seven or eight different things, seven or eight different activities had to happen there, maybe simultaneously. I don't know. It's up to them, but we just mm-hmm. had the best time laying out this space, we put a fireplace in, we direct, you know, one of the eating uh, uh, areas we directed towards the ocean, one of the relaxing areas we directed toward the mountains, we tucked away the, 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 the yoga center and one portion of it. So yeah, to your point, there, there really are no rules to that. And you have kind of an, a blank canvas. And when the, when the client really trusts you to take what they, they don't know what they, I always say clients don't know what they don't know. So they know what the, what the end result wants to, 
they want it to be, but they don't really know how to get there, which is where we all come in, you know, you with your product and of course, and us as designers and implementing those for them. And I think it's up to us to sort of have this sixth sense of listening to them and really understanding what they're trying to say versus what they are, what's, what's in their head versus what they're actually saying to us, because verbalizing things isn't always as easy for clients as, as we think it should be. <laughs> it's, it's not. And I think, and this is also a question that I frequently ask or talk about is, you know, I think that one of the traditional roles in many ways of the designer was to be able to extract what the consumer was thinking about looking for because they couldn't necessarily articulate it with their own language. Someone could say to me, Ryan, and and I really have a very weak vocabulary as it relates to design. We want to build something in a Spanish contemporary with a modernistic flair. And I look at them like, what the are you talking about? I can't see that. But I, the reason I bring it up is, do you think that technology advances and platforms like Pinterest and House have allowed the consumer a greater way to articulate to their design professional what they like, what they don't like to help guide? A car? Do you see this, these things as assets? In some ways, they can also overstep into the design role because then the customer is saying, this is exactly what I want but I'm your designer. You're paying me to bring a level of creativity to envision with you. And you're saying, no, that's what I, that's the pick. That's what I want. Right. Yeah. How do you engage with the pros and cons of, of technology as it, as it really intersects the consumer on, on design, construction, materials, everything. It's a double-edged sword. You know, like I love that they're enthusiastic. I love that they're excited. I, I appreciate these online outlets and, you know, honestly, even TV shows are also an educational platform, I think, for, mm-hmm. for the homeowner to, to think that they know more than they really know, unfortunately. Of course, because everything gets, everything, you can build a house in a week, no problem. Yeah, well, not even yeah. that, but just like, just the, just the they'll, they'll hear a term and it could be just whatever that designer on the show had said for, for that term. And it may not be the actual term of what they're looking for. So I've heard people say modern before and no, no, I, I really hate modern. I really don't want modern. And then they show me something that's completely modern, you know, like completely against what they had said. So I think it's just that education of, and there's a way to do it without making them feel less than, right. You don't want a client to feel like they're, they're unintelligent because they're not, they, they're just excited. So I think for me, <laughs> I try to just sit them down, you know, go through, I spend a lot of time on the programming part of what we do. I spend a lot of time with clients trying to figure out what's in their head and what they're trying to relay to us. And I think that's where you can't rush that part of the process. So for me, that part is integral to the success of the design um, and really listening to what they're saying, but also just, just actual samples of things really help too, right? So if they say something and I show them what that term actually means, or I show them what they're actually, I think that they're interpreting and whether it's right or wrong, we've either crossed that off the list or we've added that to the direction of the design plan for the room. So it is tough and it is a double-edged sword, but I also think that clients are open to that too. And I, and I do appreciate their excitement and I do appreciate that, you know, they're really ready to get going on their project. But, but for us as professionals, it's a, it's, it's also the, okay, stop and take a breath. Let's figure out if this is right or wrong. And then we'll make a decision on how to move forward from there. Yeah. Leads me. It's a great. It's a great point, which leads into something I wanted to ask you about. You know, I, I realize that you're in the midst of a shift from the gilded home to 
John McLean home. Uh, and I'm really, and I will be continue to follow you. And I'm excited to see that when you say John McLean home, and I know experience in, in lighting in furniture in accessorization, does outdoor play into when you say, when you envision the future of John McLean home, is there outdoor lighting outdoor for, does that play into the long-term vision or strategy for, because if we go back to what we said a few minutes ago, where home is not in any ways confined to indoors. And today, finally, people are not saying I have a balcony or it's not outdoor space. I want to create an outdoor room. How does that morph into thoughts on, on John McLean home? Most of my designs came from things that I had done for clients. I would say about 75, 80% of them were, were custom pieces that I had made for a client. Case in point, we had a client who had a beautiful and I right off of their living room. It was, it was almost in the, it almost felt as if it was in inside their home. It was that close. And that, and I felt like it should really be a part of their interior of their home. Cause when the doors are open, everything is, is, is all in one. So we designed sofas for them that were, Marine grade plywood, marine grade wood, you know, we did the, the specialty foam to make them outdoors. When they were done, these sofas ended, look, ended up looking like an indoor sofa. And the client now uses this outdoor space more than he uses his indoor space because literally his lanai feels like, and I'm talking, I put lamps, I did um, uh, sofas, coffee table. It really felt like an indoor space. So yes, I do want to incorporate that into the John McClain home because I really want outdoor, I want people to think about outdoor more and I think that they are, but I also want to be able to address the missing components, I feel, that are necessary to make the outdoor space really feel like an indoor space because the line is blurring. We've already talked about that. The line from sure indoor to outdoor, it's gone. Like there really is no... Clients expect the same outdoors as they do indoors. We're using furniture inside too with specialty fabrics that is, you know, that also fabrics for indoor outdoor, that, that line is also blurred. You, the, the, the hand of these outdoor fabrics these days that are so durable and it's amazing, right? It just feels so soft and supple and, and clients really, they're, they're shocked when I take it on your little, little, example for a, a little bit of coffee or a glass of wine, something on a sample to show them like, look, your kid, this is, this is, this is durable. Your kids can, can climb all over it. You can wipe it down. Uh, we had a house in traditional home a year and a half ago and it was all white. It was like very like light colored. And, and there was this family had was two parents and then two young kids, brand, like one was brand new, like six months old. The other one was, I think four. I had so much flax for, for saying that, why did you design a house with light colors? And I was like, you can run mud over every single piece in this home and it will not hurt it. No one, and yeah, they didn't believe me. But that was one of those things that was like, all right, this is a educational moment for the consumer to know that they, again, they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know that this is available and they don't know that you can have white furniture or light colored furniture inside or outside your house and it can be just as durable. So yes, I do plan to incorporate uh, outdoor furniture, sofas, chairs, that sort of thing. Lighting, um, probably not yet, but um, accessories for sure, um, uh, case goods for sure, and that sort of thing. So yeah, all those things are in the work. My brain never stopped, probably like yours, Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, a blessing and a curse at the same I know, time. I know. Uh, let me just say to you, if at any point, if and when you have uh, ideas, prototypes, and if we could... Um, 
show those with you, integrate them into a, a display, a photo shoot, a, a, a trade show if they ever come back. And that is of benefit and that helps to get feedback and how it, it would be my absolute honor to Great. do that with you. If that ever is, is, is appropriate, just call me and let me know. I'd love to do it. How kind of you. Thank you so much. I will definitely take you up on that. I really appreciate that. I want to read you a quote and get your thoughts on this. We not only want you to love your finished home design, we want you to have all the warm and fuzzy feelings inside that allow us to continue to be an 80% referral-based company. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Amazing, beautiful, beautifully said and written. Um, something that I think far too few companies focus on as biz dev and, and SEO and advertising and this and that, where ultimately especially when it relates to the types of businesses that we are in, which is so people and human and relationship centric. The fact that you call that out as a motivation for what you do is simple and profound. And I think over overlooked and missed by far too many people and companies in many industries. Tell me about that as a philosophy for you and, and, and your team. And I know it's not just you. You have, uh, I, I have looked on your site. You have a whole team of designers working with you, partners, as you so eloquently call them. But tell me about this, this quote. Well, I, I appreciate you calling that out because that is what, it's kind of my mantra. I, I'm transparent probably to a fault. I, I have a 24-page agreement with clients where we, list every single thing out. I don't want them ever having to worry or wonder or question about something. And if it's a client in Florida, for instance, I, I require every client to sit down with me and review the agreement live on screen. We're sharing a screen because, or if we can't do it in person, because I want them to, to be able to answer questions, uh, to ask questions to me and I can answer their questions about it. So transparency is always important to me from the get-go. And I let clients know that you're never going to have to wonder about this or what the markup was or what we charge for that. That's there. I want to run the company the way that I would want to be treated. I have to lay my head on my pillow at night, knowing that I did the best job I could that day, but also that myself and my team treated our clients in the best possible manner that day as well. That's really important to me. So I don't have to ever be worried about waking up and, having a crazy text message or waking up and having a, a, a horrible uh, voicemail from a client. Cause it just, I'm trying to fix that and stop that before it gets there. So the warm and fuzzies you were talking about, I've had some experience with contractors over the years where the project did not end in warm and fuzzies, where they were working for the client. We were working for the client. The client wanted them out of their house as soon as possible after the project was done, even to the point of when there was issues after the fact, if something didn't work or something broke, they didn't even want to call that contractor to, to come back in to fix it. They didn't want to see their face. I was like, man, like I, you know, meanwhile, they're, they're happy. They're calling us, you know, they're talking to us. If I ever see someone in the grocery store, you know, shopping or out, like I don't want them to turn their head and go the other way. I want them to come up and say hi to me, say hi to my team. Thank you so much. I want those referrals. So building up that referral based part of my business was a goal for me. And I, I always try to stop after every project too. And, and, actually kind of review the project internally with my team and review the project with the client. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? You know, did you, did you, did you anticipate something differently than what we delivered? Whatever. And I tried to make my team understand that's how the company should be. 
run as well, because I can't always be the person in front of the client as much as I want to be. Um, I have been more so during COVID uh, because of the, the virtual aspect of everything. And my clients really like it and I kind of do too. So I have been in front of clients more, but um, my point was my team has to be an extension of the way that I run my business when I was a one man show. So take me and sort of clone the things that worked well for the company and, uh, and incorporate that with clients. So yeah, I do want the warm and fuzzies. I do want them to know that we're working together. I put that on the website for a reason because the website should be something and we're actually in the process of totally revamping our website in an even more fun, interactive <laughs> way. Uh, I'm so excited. I'll keep you posted on that. It's really great. But basically, I wanted people to go to the website and know what's in it for me, being me, the client. Like, what am I getting out of this? What is your process? What is your mental thinking behind the way you work? And that was my goal by putting that statement on there and, and just being- Well, you actually have your pro- process, our process as a major heading, which very few companies do. They try to skip that part often and the, you know, the customer doesn't really need to understand the process. But I think more than ever, today's customer is- wants to be involved in the process. And I think the fact that you call attention to that is very mindful in the way consumer behavior is shifting to wanting to be vertically involved in in process. And I think it's really interesting that you call attention to that. It's, it's, it's also peace of mind for the client too, right? They know that they might not have to be involved in every step, but they know that mm-hmm. I have steps. They know that I have a process. They know that I have uh, a reaction to something that goes wrong. I can anticipate an issue before it hopefully becomes an issue. And we, without getting into all the details, we have a whole internal system too that we use where we have a project management system. We have a calendar. We have um, a system where we know exactly if this happens, then it's handed off to this person. That person has the allocation on their calendar that they have to now move forward with this part of the kitchen design. And that part was peace of mind for me being in LA, not being in Florida, having clients in both places, I can pull up that that project management software at any time. And I know where we are in the process. And I also know specifically who's working on what part of the process. So for me, it wasn't, I didn't have to pick up the phone or slap someone and say, hey, where is this? What's going on? I could literally see where they are if they're working on it and what's going on there. And then we also let the client know too. We, We do weekly updates for our clients. And that was something that was kind of a game changer for me because clients, may not hear from you for four or five weeks if you're working knee-deep inside of their project, right? You're in the design phase and you're really working on it. You're excited. They're like crickets. They don't hear anything. That's not cool. That's not good for them. So we do a weekly update where it tells them exactly what we worked on that week. Even if it was the same room, you know, we let them know what we did. And I also let them know how many hours we spent on their project that week in the different phases, whether it was project management whether it was design or whether it was administration, because I don't want any surprises with clients when they get their invoice as well to say, wait, 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 what? I haven't heard from you and you spent how much time on my project? Where is that? Mm. So it goes back to that, you know, that, uh, that accountability. Absolutely. For sure. Well, I, um, I love what you're doing. I, I think that your website is um, and the images that you use and how you are not afraid to blend. So many websites are like image, space, text, another image, almost afraid to blur. And I think that you blur with pride and it all feels fun, even though one's next to the other, one's more bold and colorful and, and almost like a, like, a, like a Picasso. Another one is much more subdued. 
you make it all work in a really, really nice way. And that's from someone who understands design at a really, really elementary level. So um, I will continue to uh, follow your work. I will anxiously await the launch of, uh, of John McCain home. And if uh, we can help to share the message through our platforms and our, our clients and our dealers, we would love to do that with you and, and, and help you. And if we can, and um, I look forward to a collaboration. I think it would be a lot of fun. I think that we have a lot of very similar um, value. It seems like story and values and, and experience, even though in different milieus, um, a lot of uh, overlap, I think, in, in many ways. So I've, uh, I've enjoyed this, uh, this conversation a lot. And uh, I know it's a very busy time, uh, especially going into Thanksgiving and everything going on. So I want to I thank you for investing the time. I, I sincerely appreciate it. No, my pleasure. This was great. I, 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 I love the conversation. I think it was so helpful. And I think it was so fun. And, and I do hope that more people do open their eyes up to outdoor spaces and the value that those outdoor spaces can bring to the interiors of their home. And I think if this conversation did nothing but to spark that fire, then we did a good job. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Fireside Chat with John McClain. I think you'll agree far more than a designer. This is a visionary. This is a man who oozes integrity, authenticity, and client experience in everything that he does. It is so obvious how much he cares for his clients, even for his employees that he refers to in his own words as partners. I think the design industry and every industry needs a lot more leaders like John McLean, and I'm unbelievably excited and will continue to follow the progress of the new John McLean home line. As always, thank you for joining us on the Fireside Chat. Please subscribe to our podcast series on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, at Urban Bonfire. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for a future episode, we would love to hear from you. Thanks very much.